Welcome to another episode of Coffee and Revelations, where you bring the coffee or whatever your drink of choice is, and we bring the revelations. I am very excited today because I am joined by my wonderful and amazing husband, Maurice Mathis. Hello, world, and hello, Antoinette. He's back. He's back. It's been a while since he's been here, so I'm glad that Maurice is joining us today. So thank everyone for being here. I know each week that it's someone's first week, so welcome, first-timers. Hey, (laughs) y'all, and welcome to your first episode here. And for the returning people, the loyal people that are here every week, thank you so much for tuning in, for sharing, for being loyal and wanting to be a part of the Coffee and Revelations community. So I am very excited today because I get to share a story that I have shared a couple times now, but to be able to share it on this platform with you all, people that probably have not heard the story, and at the end to share a special new venture that I am embarking upon in this season based on the story that we will share today is just very exciting. So I'm glad to be here and it is befitting for Maurice to be here because we are sharing our NICU experience, the journey with Gordon and Winston, our miracle twins that are here now and thriving and growing and developing. And literally every time I look at them, I'm like, oh my gosh. (laughs) And just some of the things that they say and some of the things that they know is just phenomenal and amazing to me. So I am very blessed to be able to share our journey, knowing and understanding that many people can benefit from whether or not you've been through a NICU journey, but can benefit from the hope that God has given us through our journey. So we're just going to start and sort of tell our whole little story, how we ended up there and the NICU, what that experience was like and sort of where we are now. So I'll get it started and I'll bounce it over to you and then you can bounce it back to me. And <laughs> um, A couple of bouncers. Yeah. So we'll sort of just go back and forth there for a little bit. Mm-hmm. So... In May of 2017, I was 25 weeks pregnant and it was like, oh, you know, everything with this pregnancy has been so great and this has just been so wonderful, pregnant with twins, Um, but I wasn't really growing very much, especially to be pregnant with twins, but really even to be pregnant with one child. And of course, people's body structures are different and there are so many variations of, you know, how people grow and all of that in pregnancy, but everyone was beginning to notice by that point that I was pretty small to be carrying twins. And so we went in for our normal appointment and it had never happened before. So with twins, we had an ultrasound every time that we went in. And when we went this time, for the first time ever, the nurse that was assisting us with the ultrasound left the room and was like, I need to come right back. And we were like, Okay, you know, that's never a good sign, right? When the nurse says they have to come back or, you know, just unusual. This this was not a normal part of 
what we had been experiencing now for several months. And so we looked at each other and we're like, hmm, what are something's wrong? Do you think something's wrong? Do you think? Uh, and then so we're dismissing that like, no, nothing's wrong. Everything's fine. She probably just needs to, you know, go get the doctor for something. I don't she know. I don't know what she's doing. Right. So she just needs a second set of eyes. So she apparently went and told the doctor what was going on. And when she came back, she came back with the doctor and the doctor looked at the same scans that she had looked at, that the nurse had looked at. And the doctor's like, yeah, something doesn't look right. Why don't you just get dressed and come to my office? So now red flags everywhere. <laughs> like we're Okay. So first the nurse went out and came back. Then the doctor comes in and says, Let's get dressed and come to my office. And so at this point, you know, so many things are going on and happening and we're looking at each other and like, okay, I don't know. So when we went to Dr. Beeman's office and after I had gotten dressed and all of that, she began to explain to us what was a rare medical condition called intrauterine growth restriction, shortened as IUGR, which is a rare case in which not enough nutrients and oxygen and blood goes to the baby. And so the umbilical cord is not functioning properly as it should. So where we were 25 weeks at that time, Winston, our B-twin, was measuring between 21 and 22 weeks, which is a major concern. So he was 14 ounces at that time. And his sister, his twin, the A-twin, Gordon, was measuring at like one pound, seven ounces. And so it doesn't sound like that much in those terms because they both obviously were still very small at that time. But it was major because that's several weeks behind where he should have been. And so she began to explain to us that the umbilical cord, where it should be pumping blood and oxygen in and all of that, there was some reversal going on in that process. So it, instead of going in, 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 there was some going in, some going out, and his growth was restricted as a result of that. So she began to talk about several options that we could have as it relates to what what happened to the twins. So since I was carrying two, it was very challenging. And she explained that the process that we would embark upon from that point would be very difficult because they were not only trying to make a decision for one baby, but trying to make a decision for two. So to potentially save twin B that may or may not live anyway, would it be worth it to prolong the time or to just prolong the time to make sure that twin A survived and just run the risk of whatever would happen with twin B? So she said, even if twin B lives, we don't know if he will have Down syndrome or other chromosomal issues. We don't know what potential things could happen. So what we're going to do, give me the weekend. This was a Friday. Give me the weekend and I will talk to some colleagues. This 
particular doctor, thank God, was very forward thinking, very into the newest research and potentially things that other people may or may not know. And she said, give me the weekend. I will contact some people, see what things we can do, because this is not something that we have dealt with a lot is so rare, but I have heard of some research and I want to see what we can do. So she was very emotional. We were very emotional, but I think in shock. Yeah, she was, as Antoinette was saying, she was very emotional, which I don't, I guess we were still at the point of trying to figure out what was going on. So she felt more emotional than we did at that time. Um, which is, you know, bed bedside manners are huge, you know, for for a doctor. So she really was showing that, but she was very comforting, and we were comforting to her. Um, but it was it was comforting for to her, for us to understand that she was like, I don't know exactly what's going on, but know that I am going to work to make sure that both children survive. And it was kind of a thing from there, from there on, like a, um, the focus was we're going to do what we can for both twins to survive between her and all the other doctors and, and nurses that would come along. So when they contacted us the next week, when Dr. Beeman reached out to us the next week, she had previously told me to get on baby aspirin because the that would possibly help to get a greater blood flow to Winston. Really, at that point, we were just buying time and every ounce of nutrition and blood and oxygen and weight that we could get for him because we didn't know when the time would come. It was really a time game, a waiting game, and really just trying to figure out what everything was. So I started the baby aspirin that same day. And I also started a super high protein diet, trying to pump all of this protein in me to see if he could just grow. (laughs) And also I started a... We were waiting, yeah. <laughs> all the, I was like taking shakes and eating all this meat, all these eggs, just everything. Super anything milk. that, or super milk, yeah. <laughs> anything that could help us in the process. And so the next week when she called, she had mentioned that there could potentially be an opportunity to take Viagra or the, over the not over the counter, but the generic brand of that, which was called sildenafil, and she said that could be a possibility because, of course, that would increase the blood flow, the same effect that it would have on whoever's taking it. So, <laughs> so it would increase the blood flow. Everything was about getting the blood flowing, getting Winston to have as much blood as possible, as much as he needed, and so. We started that finally after so many hoops to jump through. There had to be so many approvals and so many signatures and so much just to get that one medicine approved. But we finally got that done and we went back in in two weeks. So in the meantime, I traveled to help a friend for her bridal shower and 
so much was going on and we were sort of in the space of not allowing a lot of people into that bubble of what was going on. I think when people venture through the NICU or troubled pregnancies or different things, everyone has a different approach to doing it. I think a lot of people are private like we were. A lot of people are very public and there's no right or wrong way to do it. But just as a plug to people who are going through a challenge, don't feel pressured to share with everybody. It's okay to have a select few people that you share with, that you're intimate with in a space of prayer and confidence and faith that you can share with. And then if you do feel comfortable being more open and sharing on social media or sharing in a larger group of people, you know, be confident in the decision that you make. Neither one is, you know, right or wrong, but that's just sort of where we were in that time. So nobody knew what was going on. I mean, I was all up and down the road. Nobody knew what was happening. Like, how's everything going? Everything's good. Um, Because I was still sort of processing, I think, going through like the possibilities and all the things that were happening. So anyway, in two weeks, we went to the doctor's appointment and they said, you are going to have to go to the hospital like now. So the doctor's appointment was a pit stop on our way to the beach. Exactly. We were packed up and ready to go on. I guess that was going to be our last. Why are we going? It was my birthday weekend. Going into my birthday weekend. Okay. So we were going. Yeah. So we had packed up the truck and I was like, well, we'll do this. Uh, this uh, doctor's appointment. Was it a Friday? Mm-hmm. We're doing it on Friday morning and then we will head out. We had our hotel room booked. Mm-hmm. Vincent was going with Vincent us. Vincent was going with us. <laughs> we, we were going to Wake Med to say everything looks good. Keep on going. And, and we were headed to the beach. And so, yeah, that beach trip never happened. <laughs> That trip never happened. So we got there and this is the time where we met the second component of this doctoral team. So let me say that this team was phenomenal. They were so great in meeting our needs and educating us and getting us schooled on this very rare condition. And so they, this is when we met Dr. Muhammad and Dr. Muhammad ventured with us for the remainder of the pregnancy she was so phenomenal oh my gosh i love her i I need to find her she she's just i I miss her that was gonna be a lie but i do enjoy i i I love what she did for us she was amazing she was amazing so this appointment was when we met dr muhammad and she was just a straight up kind of lady so we told her we were on our way to the beach. She's like, yeah, that's canceled. And <laughs> you are going to need to be at the hospital in yeah. like an hour. And so, of course, we were like, oh, my gosh, you know, this is so crazy. So I was 27 weeks at this point, And she said, you have got to be monitored because the way this blood flow is going, if you are at home or at the beach or at work or at church or wherever, and so much blood goes out, you could be carrying around a dead baby, essentially. Um, And she told us about if there was a reversal. So there was a 
what's called a reverse and diastolic flow. That's what was going on. And she said, if there was ever a reversal in the ductus venosus, then there would be about 24 hours before there would be no chance to save the baby, which was why we needed to be monitored because the idea was if we had 24-hour monitoring, they will always know if and when there was a reversal in the ductus venosus and they would be able to intervene without any issues. If we were home with no monitoring, they wouldn't know. And if we were waiting to go to the hospital or to have another appointment, then there would be no way for them to know exactly when that moment was. So we came home, (laughs) packed a bag, went to Smithfield's, Barbecue, my dad there. <laughs> we had chicken and barbecue and whatever and went to the hospital. To our new home. <laughs> to our new home. So I was admitted into labor and delivery for that first process. I was given magnesium. And for people who have been through this process, you sort of know, they just don't know when. Things might happen, so they have to treat you as though you're going to have a baby today or within the next 24 hours. So I was given the magnesium treatments. Then I was getting starved. You are starved when you have that. <laughs> couldn't eat, couldn't drink. And then I was given steroids, really, because at 27 weeks, the baby's lungs had not So the point, which Maurice had made earlier, is that they were trying to save both babies and give them both a chance to survive. Mind you, any baby born at 27 weeks, whether they're healthy and strong or not, it is very challenging at that point. And so they were really just trying to give both babies the best chance possible. So I got in on June the 2nd that time. And then I got out on June the 5th, which was the day before my birthday. And I had already said, I don't want to spend my birthday in the hospital. So God worked it out that I didn't have to spend my birthday in the hospital. I was able to get out. And we agreed that I would come back for ultrasounds twice a week. So we went from earlier, we were going once a month. And then we went to every other week, then we went to every week, and then we went to twice a week. So everything is increasing just so that they can make sure that there is no reversal. So the reason I was able to get out to make that whole thing make sense is because the reversal did stop for just a little bit. So with the added protein and the baby aspirin and the sildenafil and all of that working together, it did level out for just a period. So during this time was when we met the third component of this team, which was Dr. Mitra. We didn't see him as much, but he was the one that released me before my birthday. So (laughs) I do remember that. Do you remember Dr. Mitra? Uh -uh. So he was, yeah, he was less prominent because actually his wife had cancer. I don't know if, I think I may have told you this. You didn't see him as much, but his wife had cancer. So he went on leave. Early on the time. Yeah. So the same time that we were getting ready to leave, he was going on leave. And Mm -hmm. I think he was going to be on leave for like four months or something. So, whew, this story is a lot. (laughs) 
So we ended up leaving the day before my birthday, which was on a Monday. Day before my birthday was a Monday. And I left and then we went back to the doctor on Thursday. The condition started reversing again. So the plan was for me to come back the following Monday. And on the following Monday, when I came back, I got admitted again. (laughs) (laughs) And we were there for the remainder of the time until we had the twins. That was a mouthful. We didn't go back immediately that time. We were like, we kind of have stuff to do today. So can we go later tonight? We like walked in wake with at like 10 o'clock p.m. <laughs> like, hey, can you admit us? We're on the books. <laughs> it was so crazy. So what happened was I was working on a bit. It was a busy time at work. So we had always made our appointments either super early in the morning or like in the afternoon during lunchtime. So this was an early morning. It was like eight o'clock. And we went and she said, you've got to go back in today because we need to monitor you. The reversal is getting worse. Remember the reverse in diastolic flow. So the reversal is getting worse and we just need to get you back in just for monitoring to make sure that nothing goes crazy. And so I said, I really have a big thing I'm working on at work. (laughs) Can I work today? And, And then go after that. And she's like, I have honestly never heard anybody make that request, but I think it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) And so she allowed me, Dr. This is Dr. Beeman. She allowed us to go to work and to do all that. So once I got off work, I told them what was going on and came home packed We cooked and everything (laughs) and we took our food back and (laughs) oh my goodness. So (laughs) oh my God. We'll go on our own time. And so we went back that night. Like Mari said, it was about 10 o'clock. And you know, usually they don't even do admissions that late. And but they checked us in. They got us in. We took our like barbecue chicken, <laughs> greens. Maybe mom had cooked and brought it to us because I know I didn't cook all that that day. But we took all of that in there. We were like, do y'all have a microwave? Can we use y'all's microwave? Because this, you know, we got to eat. And I just remember when we went in, it was so dark. It just felt it so was. It weird. Was it was very strange. So this time... We were being readmitted to antepartum because we just knew at this point that it was waiting so that I would constantly be monitored. But it was just a time of of waiting and seeing what God was going to do, seeing what was going to happen with the twins. And it was, I don't know, it was very interesting. I... I don't know. How did you feel going through that that part of it? The readmit. Yeah, just that and now just the phase before the twins were born. It honestly to me it was all such a blur. It was and it was God's plan. It was the worst time for me professionally because of the summer program. So by that time, you've talked about your birthday and then another week on top of that, that's heavy into my summer program. So 
how did I feel? I honestly, I mean, and it's bad to say this, but I, I felt inconvenienced. <laughs> I felt tired. Um, I felt rushed for everything with everything that was going on. I felt like I, I felt like I did, like had no like points to be able to breathe. So I don't know if I purposely blocked like the emotion out of it. Or if I was just going so fast that I didn't have time to really uh, think about the emotion of it. But it was just so much at that point of time. Yeah, it, it was a lot. It was a lot. And I think we were just because we didn't know what was going to happen. And it was just challenging to go through that part. Then Maurice was busy and running around and all these things. And he was there every night. So he would work all day and long hours and all of that. And then he was there with me all the time at night. And so, and he would spend the night, most nights and just all of the things. It was very, a very, very interesting time. Our family, of course, was there and supporting and all of that. But it was definitely a challenging time. Very, very challenging. And then it it was like... We weren't like like Nisi said earlier. Like we were very um, protective of who we let in that space. You just never know. You never know who is truly for you, who is truly against you, who is you know behind your back, whatever it may be. And you know sometimes it's just easier to have a small group of people who know who you know are truly praying for what's going on. Um, but then you had this, mm, not facade that we were keeping up because that would be like a malicious type deal, but we weren't talking about it to anybody. Mm -hmm. So there were no external outlets and I don't know if we needed them. But there weren't any. So it was me talking to Nisi about it, um, us talking to our siblings, our parents. Um, and then my best friend knew because he's a doctor. And that's, that's who I wanted to tell. But I don't know. It, I don't know. I don't I don't know if that would have been better. I don't know. And I don't think it would have been better. And I'm, I'm honestly not even much of an open talker anyway. But there was this upkeep of what had to of what we were trying to do, which was. You know, if somebody asks about them, you know, Nisi was on bed rest for three weeks almost, mm-hmm. and nobody at church knew. And not that we, <laughs> not that we would have been broadcasting it, but it was. I mean, she wasn't there for three Sundays leading up to the birth, and then did we tell anybody that they were born? Well, because you came back, and, and I'm skipping a little bit ahead, but I, mm-hmm. I guess I'm trying to make the point that yeah. So it was weird because they were. So at the time, the day that the twins were born, everybody from church was traveling together to to Dallas. And so they ended up telling them that they had been born. So it was the next day, actually, because they came the day of the birth and they were there through that night. And then the next day they left to go to Dallas. And that's when they told some of the people that were traveling. So I guess I'm just trying to. Yeah. So and like I said, you are much better at that timeline than, than I ever will be. But, um, you know, it was, how's Antoinette doing? Oh, she's doing fine. 
It was like, not, well, you know, play, pray for us, you know, they're, they're talking about, you know, this with the twins, whatever. It was, oh, she's doing well, you know, just keep her in your prayers. It was some of that, like, very surface level that wasn't a lie, but it also wasn't, like, the fullness of what was going on. I don't know. So maybe it was just a little heavy to keep in. I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. I, and I never really thought about that. Well, I did. I don't think I would have wanted to, mm-hmm. but it would, again, it was just something like it was another piece There's another of layer what was going of, on. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and it's crazy because now that we're on this side of it and we've been on this side of it for a few years now, I even in talking to close friends of mine that I probably would have wanted in that experience. Like I'm thinking of a few people right now that I have had the conversation with, like now I guess they're comfortable to ask or, or I am open to the dialogue or have opened the dialogue myself. Like, why didn't you say anything? And I think (laughs) it was all just so fresh and so new as we were journeying through it. I didn't know what was going on so i had to keep myself checked and aware and all of those things like just on that day-to-day basis because i literally sat in the hospital all day like people would visit so both sets of our parents were visiting my sister was living in charlotte at the time so she and her husband would come when like on the weekends and different things but i literally just sat at the hospital all day i don't even know now, this is another thing that adds another layer to it is that I made a lot of friends out of the nurses. Like, the nurses would literally just come <laughs> and sit in the room and be like, do you have any other patients today? Now, Because th- this is before we had the twins, so I'm still pregnant. And, you know, they would just come. And so I made a lot of friends in that way from the nurses. And I think it's because it it was so challenging, but... The spirit of the Lord, now Mm. that I'm on this side of it, I just know it was God that allowed us not to be depressed because Mm. this is a real, and now we are um, speaking, we can speak about it and laugh and, you know, all those things. We were not laughing in this way um, as we were going through it, but it was God's grace that allowed us not to be depressed, not to be you know, overtaken. I think it was overwhelming. So I won't say we weren't overwhelmed as we were going through it, but to not be overtaken by all of the sadness and those things, because still you have to remember that even though we were there, it was still always the question of, okay, even if twin B is born, what is going to be his likelihood of survival. They had ruled out some of the things. So they had ruled out most of the chromosomal stuff because of the testing and all of that. They, I don't think they had ruled out Down syndrome. Yes, they never ruled that out. Until they, because it was a, we won't true. They were like, what they, what, what I do remember them saying is, we don't know why this is happening. And so it could be Down syndrome, but we're not going to know until we set our eyes on that baby. Yeah. So it very well still could have been Mm -hmm. up until birth Down syndrome. Yeah. So that, so all of these things are, yeah, all of those things were still prospects. We just didn't know what everything could be. And so... 
it, yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> it was quite a bit. And so we're sort of going through a lot of things to say, even as you go through your own journey, it may not be a NICU experience. It may be other sicknesses or other ailments, family issues, whatever is going on to find your own way to process. And sometimes it is sharing it with, with other people. Sometimes it is, you know, just praying about it and and all of those things. But even as we talk about it, I think we can see just how our journey could have even been different had we mm-hmm. been open to sharing and all of those things. Whew, that was a lot. So <laughs> we went through, that was June 12th when I got back into the hospital. So the evening of June 26th, I, now, I do remember I had talked to Miss Brenda all day on June 26th. She so we joked work. and said, she she <laughs> we joked and said that she was the reason that I ended up going into labor. Well, I didn't go into labor. Let me backtrack <laughs> that. I did not go into labor. But overnight that night, I just started experiencing some crazy things. And when I say I, all of this is relating to Winston. Like I never had any physical issues or anything going on. All of these things were things that were happening through or things that were happening and were manifesting for us to see through Winston. So he was being monitored in about four that more, well, throughout the night. Well, back, back up. Cause the ironic thing is, so I was there most every night leading up until that time especially when you got readmitted. I was there most nights. And that night, the night of the 26th, I went to the gym and I called and you were like, just go ahead and sleep at the house tonight. Like sleep in the actual bed. Uh, You know, you've been here. Just go to sleep in the bed. I was like, oh no, you know, I'll be there. No, no, I'm all right. Just sleep in the bed. Ain't nothing about to happen. Like we're, we're good. We're fine. That was the one of the only days I was like, all right, well, let me go over to sleep in the bed. Because you told me nothing was going to happen. And because the program had just started the week before. When was Father's Day? Yeah, so the program had just started the week before. The, the residential program. Right, yeah. right. Uh-huh. So y'all were it's steeped in that yeah. and heavily. So I was like, you know, it's okay. Because we had so many. I really thought that it was. So when we got there. They set a goal and said, we are going to try to push to 32 weeks. And so in my mind, I was 30 weeks and six days at the time. And so in my mind, I'm like, we are not going to have a baby, two babies until at least another week and a couple of days. So I'm like, we're going to wait until 32 weeks. We know we're not going to have the baby. So, you know, it's fine. So overnight Maurice isn't there but it's fine like I'm resting and everything so around two in the morning they came in and they're like can you reposition yourself because sometimes the depending on the way the monitors were set up there were some straps that they had on me so depending on where they were sitting and how they were positioned maybe they couldn't get a good signal for lack of a better word it's not signal but they couldn't get a good reading on the monitor and so they would they repositioned me and things got a little better, but she came back around four and she repositioned me again. And she's like, I don't think this looks good. His heart rate, what was happening was his heart rate was going from like 200 something way down to like 
40. And then it was spiking and, and going down, having these peaks and valleys for long periods of time. And essentially what that would be for a normal person, for an adult, that is like a heart attack type of thing, like distress. going in and out. Yeah, yeah. distress. It's really, really heavy distress. And so she was like, I think that we are going to have to do something. So, of course, she couldn't make a decision, but she brought in the doctor. Now, mind you, throughout this time, there are so many gaps that we have to fill in. But throughout this time, especially the weekend before, there have been several times where the doctors have wanted to intervene. But I always said I didn't feel comfortable unless Dr. Muhammad, which remember was the doctor that had been with us, had given the go ahead. I never felt comfortable because she had been with us. She knew us. She was definitely advocating for us. And as a plug, I know we talked about it a few weeks ago on the podcast, but Black families and Black women often do not get to experience well-rounded, holistic medical care because they don't know how to advocate for themselves and there's nobody to advocate for them. And so Dr. Muhammad was a black woman and I really felt like she had our best interests at heart and that she was very concerned, not just from a, you know, professional standpoint, but also from a a personal standpoint. And so I felt like she was very vested. So even when Dr. Armstrong had come, he was a black man. Do you remember? Yeah. So even when he came the weekend before, he was just rotating through. I didn't know him. I had no, so I didn't feel comfortable making that move. And so a lot of, there were several times throughout the experience that we were there that they tried to intervene. And I would just say, you know, I don't feel like it's comfortable. So it was about seven o'clock, which was when I knew Dr. Muhammad was coming back on. So I, this is the morning that the twins are about to be born. It's June 27th now. And so I've called Maurice already because of what they said is going on. But I told him, I said, I'm waiting for Dr. Muhammad. So I called you in the five o'clock hour, 25 and six. And he rushed there, y'all. Did you brush your teeth? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) We're kind of going what's important here. (laughs) The teeth brushing is not what's important. He flew there. And I called my parents, called Maurice's mom. We called everybody. And... Maurice got there. Did Daddy get there before you? Or right after you? Y'all got there around the same time. So my dad and Maurice came up and they're like, you know, what's going on? What what are we doing? And of course, this whole time we're praying. We have been praying. That team that we talked about, we've been fasting and all of those things throughout this time. But I was waiting on Dr. Muhammad. Like, I didn't hear what nobody else said. I was like, Dr. Muhammad is the one. She is the one that's going to help us make this final decision where I will feel comfortable and that we have waited as long as we can. And so they said, she was like, can you, I think she said, you said something like, can you call her? They were like, well, that's not really how we would do this. And somehow it was like, well, she's coming in at, at eight or seven or something like that. And you were like, well, I'll wait. Right. So I was telling her, I'm like, y'all can make all these plans, but until Dr. Muhammad, this is who I'm talking about. Until she gets here at seven o'clock, like I'm not doing anything. And she was, she was sort of on the delays as it probably was closer to eight, but, um, she walked in, she stood at the door. I remember it like it was yesterday. 
she stood at the door and it was like angelic presence was there. She stood at the door and she walked in and she said, today is the day. And I didn't know it at that time, but she began to explain. She said she had been watching us all night. Not watching us, but <laughs> watching the Sorry. monitors, watching the monitors all night. And she had seen the fluctuation. She said, I have had my eye on you guys all night and today is the day. And I, I think I that was the first time that I think I, because it finally started to hit me that we were going to have, we knew we were going to have premature babies. Like we had visited the NICU. We had our tour we had seen other babies. We had gone through that process. We had all of those things. But at that moment, it became a reality. Like, I'm about to have premature babies. We still don't know the state and all that will be involved. But this is about to happen. And so she reassured me. She said, do you remember when we first started this journey and we said that we would do whatever we needed to do to have two healthy babies and that we would monitor you and keep track and that we were looking for what they were looking for, how they defined it to us. We are looking for the perfect intersection that can be most beneficial for both babies. So baby B is not growing. And so we want to give that baby the opportunity to grow in the womb as much as he can, but the womb is not the best environment for him because he's not getting the nutrients that he needs. Where baby A is growing and thriving and getting all that she needs and coming out of the womb could be very detrimental for her. So we're trying to find that perfect intersection where both twins are able to get what they need. And she said, today we we have reached that intersection and it's no longer beneficial for baby B to be in the womb. And we started getting ready. They already had a nine o'clock appointment or eight, eight o'clock appointment. Mm-hmm. They bumped that person. <laughs> I was Kicked like, y'all are, yeah, y'all are actually going to be first. They took Nacy in, took her back, and started prepping her. I went on the other side of things, and they prepped me, and I waited there probably for like 20 or 30 minutes. Ma came in and just sat with me. She didn't say many words. She just sat with me. And I needed that. Mm. Just to sit there, not have to try to explain anything. I have a lot of questions asked or answered. We just kind of sat. Mm. I didn't remember that until I just said that right now. Yeah, I don't even think I knew yeah. that. Like she, I remember, like I always knew she was there, but there wasn't a lot of talking. It was just we, we were just there, which is which was a good space to be in. Mm-hmm. Then they called me back, and uh, I don't know how quickly you want to go through this, but Gordon was born at eight fifty-seven, mm-hmm. and Winston was born at nine o'clock. Mm-hmm. And they took Nisi back because obviously she had to rest. She had a C-section, so she had to rest. And unfortunately, she wasn't able to, you know, hold the babies right then. They took me on the other side of the room where I was able to touch them. And they were the smallest little things I had ever seen in my life. Mm, Yeah. 
<laughs> they were tiny. I remember when they lifted them up. So, of course, with the C-section, you know, you have the the barrier, the curtain. And I remember when they lifted Gordon up and they had told us that, you know, because they were so premature. Of course, they had given us all of this background when they it was much earlier because they didn't know when they were going to have to intervene and they said you know their lungs won't be fully developed and all of that so they may not cry and i remember when they lifted her up and i was like she is so tiny but she was screaming yeah <laughs> and it was just was. such a and i was crying like the cuz i of course i'm laying down tears like i i remember feeling them like just going back into my hair <laughs> and um and then they, you know, did whatever other moving and tugging that they needed to do. And they, I remember them saying, this is a small one. They, <laughs> yeah. they said, this is a small one. Cause I had seen Gordon, of course, and I'm like, she's tiny. She was two pounds, 15 ounces. And they continued to work and they, they said, wow, this is a small one. And this is a team that had worked with us. For a good amount of our experience, as a matter of fact, one of the doctors begged Dr. Papsworth, she begged to be on the team. She had worked 24 hours and she when she found out that we were going in that day, she begged to stay and she did. She was the one that delivered us and she lifted Winston up and he was screamed too. Yeah. And... He was one pound, eight ounces. So at 30 weeks, six days, his sister was almost twice his size. And he was measuring at about what a 24 or 25 weaker would be. And thus began our <laughs> NICU journey. Thus began the other side our of NICU Mac, journey. Wake me the other side of the fourth floor. The other side. Mm-hmm. It... it yeah, it was a lot getting to that place. And that was just the beginning of this story. Um, but that's where our NICU journey started. And we were surrounded by some of the most caring and supportive and loving people, nurses, doctors, mm-hmm. um, administrative staff that supported us throughout the journey and it was it was a challenge Mm. but it was a a beautiful (sighs) start to something that we didn't know because we were always like why are we going through this like what is going on what is this place (laughs) what is going on um (laughs) It, I don't know, it, that entire journey. So we will do a part two. Obviously, this is becoming a little bit long. So we will do a part two talking more about the NICU. But on June 27th, 2017, God blessed us with our babies. And they have been such an amazing part of our lives. And we know Mm -hmm. 
that the NICU, no matter how you get there, if you're there because your child was born prematurely like ours and you had time to prepare, we we did have time to prepare for the NICU. And I understand that a lot of families don't because of, you know, just the surrounding circumstances. So if you have to have an emergency um, delivery and you don't know that that's coming, thankfully, and I think that, helped some to have that really almost a month and a half of time to prepare ourselves to get our minds together and to sort of get into a space where we were preparing for the NICU and everybody doesn't have that yeah that's true yeah everybody doesn't have that lead-in time to sort of get to that place so various things bring people to the NICU and nobody that's there wants to be there. <laughs> we all want to get out of there. And it's, you know, we all want to move from that place. But it's something that for one reason or another, we have to go through. And so because we did experience so much hope on our journey and really just the strength of the Lord, that's all I know to say how we made it through, how we got out. It's something that, yes, how I got over. It's something that we want to share with other people. And so we are launching and sharing notes of hope from 627. June 27th is the date that twins were born, the day that they came into the world. So this weekend, on September 20th, we will celebrate three years of being NICU graduates officially. <laughs> so we graduated with Gordon from the NICU on August the 8th. We graduated with Winston on September the 3rd. He went back and for then, <laughs> And then we went back with Winston to the NICU and he graduated officially on September the 20th. And so this weekend... Because not, <laughs> not that it wasn't enough that we had to go through all that, but we are one of the few people who had a child to go back into the NICU. It is rare. What in the world? It is, it is rare to, to have that situation. So it just was our, our story. Our lot. Our, it, it was. But I know that it is so that we can share with others through this journey. And so we really want to be able to bring hope and light into other people's lives. I know being a NICU mom that people don't know what to do or say because if they haven't lived that experience, it's just something that they don't know how to support. Not that they don't want to, but maybe they just don't have the language to surround it. That's one aspect. The other aspect is that when your child is in the NICU long term for you know extend, an extended period of time, people can surround you with love for the first week, two mm-hmm. weeks, three weeks. And then when months and months go by, they sort of forget about you or forget what's going on and all of that. It's just a common thing that happens because their lives are continuing to go on while you go through this journey. And so... We have created Notes of Hope from 627, which will provide friends and family members of NICU parents 
the opportunity to support them as they go throughout their experience. So they are personalized cards that I have crafted based on Curated. curated, based on our experience to just minister to families as they go through. The cards are designed as a set that you would, a family member, a friend, a loved one, would send to a family in need in the NICU once a week. So you would have a set of cards that you're able to minister to your friend, your loved one, your family member once a week with some notes that will just encourage them and strengthen them through their journey. So I am very excited Mm -hmm. because I know that NICU families need it. They need to be surrounded to feel the love, to feel the hope, because it can just be a hopeless place. It can feel, you know, you get excited about an accomplishment or victory, and it can be almost immediately snatched away by some other thing that goes wrong or Lots of families have to go through surgery and Mm -hmm. have to go through so many challenges and difficulties. You can have so many times that you move forward and then you have so many setbacks and so many things. And we just want families in the NICU to feel the hope of the Lord as they go through. So to end the episode, I want to share this quick scripture from 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses three and four, which is really the foundation of where notes of hope from six to seven comes from. It says, all praises belong to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for he is the father of tender mercy and the God of endless comfort. He always comes alongside us to comfort us in every suffering so that we can come alongside those who are in any painful trial. We can bring them this same comfort that God has poured out upon us. And so the same comfort that was poured out on us that we were able to make it through the NICU and to get on this side through many trials and and just things that did seem insurmountable at the time, God brought us through. And we know that through his word and through prayer and through just encouragement and hope, that he will see so many more families through. And we just want to be a part of the process that inspires people to keep pressing, to keep moving, and to know that God is for you. And it doesn't matter what you see, that he will bring you out. You have anything else to share? You need to buy these cards (laughs) and everything else that will come along with it. So it is really a, it's a, a great way to support your friend, your sister, your brother, um, whomever is in the NICU. Uh, It's an easy way. So sometimes it's very difficult to figure out what a person needs or what a person wants. And oftentimes a mom, because they are so strong, just innately, they are going to say, Oh no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't, I don't need that. That's okay. This is something that you can just do on your own. That is just a, a very good avenue to really uplift um, and encourage a mom and a father throughout their time um, in the NICU. So uh, please support Antoinette and her uh, new venture, her new business. Uh, She has worked very diligently on this and she has had many um, long nights curating 
these cards and developing what it would say and what it would be and how it would um, most importantly minister uh, through the word of God to NICU families. So this is the first step that she has in this line, um, notes, notes of hope from 627 and um, just support, sell her out at the beginning, um, buy her out at the beginning. So she would just have to make more. Um, and so that this would be a gap that is filled and not by worldly things. Cause you know, the, the gaps get filled all the time by worldly things, but there's nothing speaking directly to NICU parents in this way. And it is Christ centered. So let's support this. Let's, um, let's, let's buy them. Let's figure out how we can get them to, or just buy them so that when you need it, it's there. Um, but to support this, this woman of God and all that she is doing and how she is following what Christ is giving, giving her. I'm very proud of you. Thank you. You continue to do more and more things and to do them well. <laughs> thank you so much. I appreciate that. And I thank y'all for being here. Thanks for listening to our testimony. It's a lot. And because we haven't shared it a lot, we forget some parts sometimes. And sometimes we have to backtrack, as you have heard here today. So it's just, story. it is a complex story. And it's just our authentic testimony and where God has brought us from. And I know I need to officially record it where I don't forget parts. <laughs> yeah, you keep saying that. Yeah, I, I will. I need to time. vlog it or do something, but the podcast will be a great platform. So please share it. If you know somebody that is about to have a baby or has been through this or is going through something that it can be a blessing to, please share it with them, y'all. Please Get the word out that God is still in the miracle working business. All right. I love y'all. And I thank you for being a part of this space and community. As always, at the end, we like to offer the plan of salvation. If you don't know the Lord, he is the best person to know. He's the one that really can see you through any trial, wherever you are. So I want to offer this plan really quickly from Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. That say that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that you shall be saved. If you believe that God sent Jesus and that he was raised on the third day, that you will be saved. So if you believe that and you want to be brought into the family of Jesus Christ so that you can just experience his love in a greater way and the hope that he has for you. Just pray this prayer after me. Repeat after me. Father, I thank you. For sending Jesus Christ to die for my sin. I believe that he was beaten. That he was crucified. That he was buried. And that he rose again on the third day. With his power, I invite you, Lord, into my heart. Be my savior and be my Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, we believe that you are now saved. Get connected. Get rooted in God. Read his word. Pray. Find a church. And let's see what this journey holds for your life. I'm so excited and so thankful that you have been here with me today. And as always, we're going to close out in prayer. Father God, in the name of Jesus, 
Whew, Lord, just thank you for being the miracle working God. Thank you that there is nothing too hard for you. Father, I thank you that when you delivered us from the NICU and when you put your hand on Gordon and Winston, it was not the last miracle that you have worked. Right. It was not the first. And we know Lord. that you are still working miracles. Yep. We pray that you would work a miracle for those that are currently in the NICU, wherever they are, whatever is going on, Whatever their affliction may be, even if it's just the need to grow, the need to get bigger, the need to get off oxygen, the need to get out of the incubator, the need to um, be able to drink on their own, to eat their their bottle and to do all of the processes that come so easily and naturally for other babies. God, I pray that you would intervene and work a miracle. Lord, even if those that are listening to this don't have a NICU experience they're going through, whatever they are going through, we pray that you would work a miracle for them in the name of Jesus. You are not short on miracles, God. You are a healer. You are a deliverer. You are the savior. You are a redeemer and you have all power. So we pray that you will work a miracle on behalf of the listeners, that they will share this testimony and just show that your power still prevails, that there is nothing too hard for you. We love you and we thank you for this time. Thank you for using Maurice and me and just our story to be a blessing to other people. Who knew that three years ago, we would have been through all the things that we have now been through and that we would be on this side, able to provide the same hope and comfort and strength that you provided for us. Father, we thank you for that opportunity. We thank you for just that, the the entrusting us with the opportunity to share your hope with other people. We love you and we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus name, we pray. Amen. Amen. It's been another week of Coffee and Revelations. I'm going to share links to everything. The official launch of Notes of Hope from 627 will be on Sunday, September the 20th. So I'm real excited about it. And I'll share more and more and more and all the things. Love you guys so much. And thank you for being a part of the Coffee and Revelations family. Until next week. Bye. Bye.